Hello and welcome. We're going to talk about redefining, rerouting, or perhaps even derouting your entire life today with my gorgeous friend Rosie. I met Rosie, oh, I'm trying to think, like maybe five, six years ago. She was a journalist for Quartzy after being a freelance journalist for many, many years. And of course, the Quartz is an online publication. And she was doing a piece on life coaches. And, you know, basically whether they were bullshit or not, which is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, and she interviewed me. We, we had a session together and she interviewed me and we ended up becoming friends, which was wonderful. And so over these past six years, we've witnessed each other move through a range of life changes and experiences. And that's what we're speaking to today because both Rosie and I have really, really recognized this need to reroute and completely change our minds about the trajectory of what our lives what we might have thought our lives were going to be or look like to make space for the essence of who we are and what our life actually wants to be for us or how it wants to be lived through us would you agree Rosie yeah no I love all that the part that you're leaving out is that um by as a result of the session with you and the the story I came away thinking life coaches are not bullshit <laughs> yes <laughs> which was not really my um at the time my sort of cynical journalist uh not you know I didn't I didn't have an intention of the of how what the outcome would be but if you had if you had made me guess I wouldn't have guessed that would have been the outcome <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's such an interesting um juncture as well yeah um, and it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of foreshadowing a little bit because, um, I mean, part of the story, part of my sort of change in the last two years is from being this person who was entirely led by facts and reason and what I could prove, um, because that was what I did every day and, and what my job required of me, but sort of neglecting this part of myself that knew there was other ways of knowing things too. And that as much as I love to, you know, fact check something or <laughs> find something to prove my point, um, if you limit yourself only to, to that frame, um, mm-hmm. I think you miss a lot in life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say you should throw that framework out. You know, we need, yeah. we need science, we need facts, we need all those things. Yeah. Um, but something- yeah, that story, that story was I think one of the first times sort of in my like professional journalist self, I wrote into that tension a little bit, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, I find it really interesting because my impression of you was that back then you were this like high achieving in the race of like getting the best stories, getting the best uh, emotional responses from your readers, like Mm -hmm. really being on top of things in the news kind of world and like the, you were in this weird race that is really common among, in that world and in that mm-hmm. profession and you have to be in it like otherwise you just I don't know what, that, you, be- that's the what job. you become <laughs> yeah exactly and um and so there was this like analytical perspective and you're like I need to prove everything and I need mm-hmm. to scientifically back up everything I say or maybe not just scientifically but like in some very pragmatic practical way it can't be too weird it has to be anchored in um cultural 
understanding or agreement if that makes mm-hmm. sense and then yeah. slowly slowly you were like but does it really what about yeah. what I feel and what is true for me even if that does not is not reflected by my society or the world at large right and what I mean what happened was that frame of thinking that you just described you know it wasn't just limited to my work it was it, it became sort of the frame I lived my life in and then it stopped working. <laughs> so what? So wait, this is really interesting to me. How did it stop working? Why? What happened? Like what? <sighs> what? What happened? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna take a beat to think about how I want to mm-hmm. share this. Um. So like, I was really good at my job, and I was yeah. really good at being that high achieving, analytical. Like every time I had a new job or like worked with a new, you know, editor or client, you know, I, they would by and large come away thinking, oh, she's like a very effective, thorough, good journalist. (laughs) And the job I had right before COVID happened, that was like even more, I was like kind of the superstar. They wanted to meet on stage, doing media interviews, writing stories, doing all this stuff. But you also and, were published in the New York Times, is that right? Yeah, so this that, is part of the time? story. Okay, right. Yeah. So um, I got an opportunity right at the start of COVID to write an op-ed for the New York Times. Right, okay. Um, it was about COVID and it was really, really early. It was early February. And I, um, you know, it was a huge moment in my career. I, this is the kind of thing that I sort of had been waiting my whole life to be handed. Mm. And, you know, it was, it was obviously flattering that, that, that I was asked to do it by my boss. Um, cause the, right. So I did it and I, I wrote, I can, I, I, I came up with the idea I wrote, I edited and it was published all within 24 hours. Wow. So it was like a high pressure that you like bring your a game kind of career moment. And then there was this like huge, sort of brief high where, you know, people were like messaging me from high school. Like it was weird, like so much external validation. Right. Mm. Um, But it felt really bad (laughs) internally. In what way? Um, Well, so what happened is like, I'm trying, I don't want to get too into this because I'll get Mm -hmm. derailed, but Mm -hmm. basically like I was, you know, it was a weird time and COVID did this to a lot of people, I think, where the things that we know to be true and the ways that we know them was challenged a little bit. So um, I made an argument that was based on like pretty solid, like WHO official guidance, da 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 And then, you know, I didn't, but I didn't, it wasn't really my argument. It was like, it was my job to say something. And so I said it, but I didn't really want didn't to believe say it. it or like, I didn't, didn't believe yeah. it. It wasn't like an embodied argument. Okay. If we so it was kind of word. out of integrity with your truth. Yeah, sure. Okay. And, and maybe even more so I, there was an element of me that knew I shouldn't be writing it when I was, but there was no way I could have said no. No, of because course. because you don't say no to the New York Times when you're and when that's boss. been like a dream or like yeah. a, a high point, like as if you would turn that down. No, right. So you know, it's not that that the piece was 
there was no correction. There wasn't any, you know, major issue with it, but it got caught up as things do in the sort of right-wing Trumpian news cycle. And it, for months, two months, three months, I would get, you know, I was like on Fox News. Well, my name was on Fox News. I would get all this hate mail. I Every time I opened my computer, I was like fielding, you know, emails from, it's always like 50, 60 year old men who have like the same five names telling you that you're <laughs> an idiot. I, I understand. <laughs> um, and so that was like, and that was while like lockdown was starting. So it was like this added, you know, element. And I started to think like, God, this is ostensibly the career high point of my life. And it feels fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. Like what is going on here? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could say, oh, this is a fluke. Like it's just one story. It got caught up in the, in a weird internet, which true, like maybe if it, if it hadn't captured the attention of that that part of the internet, this whole story wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But I think I knew, I think I had known for some time, even going back to like, when I wrote the story with you, which I think was in like 2018, that that, that framework of like, well, so-and-so says this, I can prove it. I have the quote, I have the fact, that's it. I can say this, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the, the rules that I was playing by mm-hmm. sort of felt like they had led me astray, mm. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And that what I should have listened to a little bit more was that moment where I was like, um, is this, is, should I write this? Like, mm-hmm. and, but, but as you said, the world I was in and the job that I had and the, the sort of superstar persona that I had just did not give me that option. Yeah. So it's so radical for you to be like, and maybe even impossible for you yeah. to be like, actually, okay, I'll write it, but it has to be like this. Well, and and any, it's, this is the problem with how, you know, I hate to say it, the media, because mm-hmm. like, God knows it's such an easy thing to cr- critique. It's a scapegoat. <laughs> yeah, but you can't make, when you're writing an op-ed, you can't make a like nuanced, complex argument, mm. right? Like you don't even write the headline. So the editor who writes the headline is going to make that as uh, as bold and divisive as possible. Like that's yeah, because so you even want to if capture you the audience, that's the whole. Even point. if you're like trying to cover your ass and maybe like let's like I always used to joke that whenever you work a really long time on a story, you just want the headline to be like topic colon it's complicated because you you <laughs> you don't want to like. You don't want to reduce the topic and you don't want to make it, but then your editor's like, that's not a headline. You have to like say something here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that happened and it happened right before the world fell apart. Mm-hmm. And then there was some other personal things going on in my life. A relationship ended. Um, and I basically stopped sleeping for <laughs> like a month. And it was this big, like crisis moment, you know, if we want to use the sort of dark night of the soul language, Mm -hmm. maybe we'd say that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, whatever I'm doing is not working. (laughs) 
So I was really lucky in a weird sense that I had this massive global pause that came right after this huge rupture in my life because I had so much time and zero distraction to like sort of sift through what the fuck had just happened to me Mm -hmm. and where I wanted to go from there. And so uh, it was sort of a very slow process of changes that I made, which we can talk about. But I remember in that time, <clears throat> we did another session because mm-hmm. um, I was like, I need help. <laughs> so, you know, I went back to therapy and I um, I called you and you sent to me, you know, you you have inhabited this analytical, rational, fact-based world but you've sort of also had this part of you that's not been present, which is one that has intuition and, and sort of sees value in these other ways of knowing things. And maybe your writing could be, could start to become sort of a bridge between those two. Cause often those two groups of people are really, they don't hear each other. Right. Mm-hmm. There's like the wellness, spirituality, personal development, self-help people um, and then there's the like clever peer review fact-based don't talk to me if there's no scientific study to prove it people mm-hmm. and um both like and I, I like gen- I'm gonna interrupt just mo- mo- for yeah. a moment because this is actually a topic that I'm really passionate about I believe that world peace and like just generally life would be so much better if we found a way to integrate the two together because it's not one or the other in my mind totally it's agree. both equally equally yeah like they both and they could interrelate they could work together so beautifully <clears throat> if we allowed it to so no I, I totally to <laughs> I totally agree and um you know it's it's like they sort of feed off each other too mm-hmm. um you know one of I practice a lot of yoga and one of the most fascinating things I find about it is like when you look at a lot of these practices that started to, that were, that they started creating, you know, the the ancient yogis and ascetics 4,000 years ago, they, the reason, like, you can find a scientific basis for why they worked, right? (laughs) Which it's a little bit dangerous to go down that road because then you're sort of saying, oh, well, I only, like, we need to validate an ancient spiritual practice uh, to prove that it's, to prove that it's valid, we need science, which mm-hmm. like it, it it does, it can get a little appropriative when, when that happens, like mm-hmm. they're like, like intellectualized. Yeah. Then... But I, I find that super fascinating that even without those tools of, you know, the scientific method and peer review, humans found their way to these practices that are still so, are, are even more relevant in our lives mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be, you know, breathing practices or sort of nervous system calming techniques, all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I so much I want to say about this. But, <laughs> um, and then so for you personally, what happened after that? What I know you made some huge changes. How did that affect you psychologically? How were you mm-hmm. able to move through that? Because I know that your expectations of who you were yeah your life is going to look like were very different to what it started to become or the choices you started to make so the first big change I made was that I moved um I had lived in London for the better part of like nine years um with a lot of travel and random stints elsewhere mixed in and 
the, the, and in fact, I was covering travel as a journalist when all this happened. And the, that's what my op-ed was about, was sort of the travel industry's response to COVID in the very early days. Um, and I, so then there was this pause and literally like so many trips and flights that I was supposed to go on evaporated. Um, and I was like, you know, like everyone else, not doing anything, going for walks, spent a lot of time like sitting on the grass outside, watching ants crawl up my leg, <laughs> reading books. And I felt great. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what's going on? Like my, I feel a lot more grounded. I feel less anxious. My nervous system feels like it's more in my control. Um, and this was even still while having, you know, a full-time journalism job I was doing remotely. And I, I just, I had this real, and I can remember the moment, like I remember where I was sitting, where I was like, how do I keep some of this? Like, how do I, you know, at that point we were optimistic in thinking how and when life would go back to normal. So I was like, I was like worried about the day when everything would just tick back up again. And I would go back to that person who allowed herself to get so burned out and so, so far away from herself that she didn't sleep for a month and, you know, everything fell apart. And I was like, I cannot do that again. <laughs> so what, what is something I could do? And I, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I literally had like a ping from somewhere. <laughs> was this the moment said, where you were like, or the seed was placed where you're like changing your mind about everything? Well, no, I think it was, it was placed before that, but it was the first practical moment where I was like, this okay. is a change I was going to make. Okay. And I grew up, so I grew up in California by the ocean and I went to university in Santa Cruz by the ocean. So the ocean has always been a really present and grounding force in my life. Mm -hmm. And I thought I need to move to the seaside. Mm -hmm. This in, in England, of course, we call it the seaside <laughs> or the sea, not the ocean. Um, so I had spoken to someone in February before, before COVID got really bad about this town where I now live called Margate. And um, someone I loosely knew lived there. And I emailed that person and said, um, you know, I'm thinking about moving to Margate. Uh, oh, I should say I had to move because a relationship of mine had ended. So I, I had to move anyway. So my options were like, move into a flat share in London at 30 years old, you know, which I had moved on from already because I'd been living with a partner before we broke up. Um, and just the thought of doing that made my whole se self want to like shrivel up. But of course I couldn't afford to live alone in London. And I was, yeah, I was really craving just to continue that groundedness and solitude and pace. And so got this idea out of nowhere from the divine, who knows? <laughs> and, um, and, e and emailed this person and, uh, and then I, I just did it. I moved in May of 2020 and I, um, it was like, I, you know, I've traveled the world by myself, much like you, like I've done a lot of like weird and wonderful stuff. Um, but I gotta say arriving somewhere 
<laughs> in May of 2020 where you don't even live. Like Airbnb had just become like legal again to rent. And I rented an Airbnb for two weeks. And then I found, I said, yeah, I can, I can make this work for six months. And if it, if it falls apart, I'll move back to London. And so then I, I rented a flat and that was like the beginning of my new life. (laughs) And, you know, obviously you always have to caveat these things. Like there was all kinds of things that I was lucky to be able to do that. I had a remote job. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, everyone who had sort of a laptop (laughs) job at that point had a remote job, but I knew that my job would allow me to stay remote and stuff Mm -hmm. so that, so I could keep my job. And, you know, um, I had, I had a salary, so I had like saved up from not doing anything during lockdown, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, But really it was like a profound moment of like self trust Mm -hmm. where I, I said, I need to do something and I have no evidence that this is the thing I need to do, except that I really just feel it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you say that's one of the first times you chose yourself above everything else just on instinct in your adult life? Um, I mean, I think it's the first time I chose something based on how it purely on how it felt to me Mm -hmm. than how it looked Mm -hmm. to other people yeah because like everything I've done in the last two years like it looks kind of out there like I (laughs) I mean maybe I'm I'm thinking people you know we always overestimate how you mean based on the expectations that you think others have of you yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. it was like a real shift in direction. Um, as, as you described at the beginning, like I was a really intense, passionate journalist who had wanted to do that job since I, the first time I wrote a story for my university newspaper, like I'm such a nerd. I was, you know, I was hooked, <laughs> um, when I was like 18. Mm. Um, so it was a pretty, it was a pretty profound shift. And so I moved to Margate. I spent the summer, the weird summer of 2020 in Margate. And then I decided to quit my job and quitting that job, you you know, journalism is so troubled as an industry that I knew quitting sort of a full-time journalism job meant that I probably wasn't ever going to have one again. Mm -hmm. And it didn't mean I, I wouldn't ever write stories in that world again, but I, it was a moment where I was like, okay, I'm really taking a step back from this because this isn't it for me anymore. Um, And was it scary to close that chapter? Like, was there some grief and some fear around that? It was terrifying. There was so much grief. Like Mm -hmm. I don't feel it as much anymore because I, I like I'm reaping the benefits of a different life and like my nervous system thanks me every day. (laughs) Um, but it was really, really difficult. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> there's sort of this. So how did you handle that? How did you handle that fear and grief and still go ahead with your decision? I think so much of what that life was about and is about for people who do it. And you only need to go on like media Twitter to see this is sort of external validation and like you know you're only as good as your last story 
you're constantly policing what you say and what you tweet to make sure it's like within a certain parameter of like what's acceptable to say. Um, you are literally looking at like numbers all day to see how well your story did. Like it is, it is, if you want to Psychologically, that would really ruin people. Yeah. Um, and like, okay, that's sort of what social media does. But in journalism, there's like much higher stakes because yeah. if you make a mistake, you could get sued. You can be really like publicly shamed by your peers in a way that feels terrifying. You can be, you can lose your job. And I mean, we're talking, you're filing stories every day and you can just like have one moment of human error and that. So it really just encourages this hypervigilance, this always looking outward. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's not like that for everyone, but it really was like that for me. And that connected to some things I had identified in therapy about my like younger self of that hypervigilance and looking outward. So like, for me, that was on overdrive because I I had been, I had sort of been doing that for a long time. And then I chose a job that asked me to do that even more, which is the thing I think people really underestimate about work. You know, we often talk about um, how our younger selves show up in our romantic relationships but I think they show up in work too. And I think absolutely, it's like, can be really powerful to make that connection. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job like I did, but, mm-hmm. but it can help you realize why do I struggle to have boundaries with work? Like, mm-hmm. why am I so desperate for my boss to, to validate me? Star? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so, okay. So all of that external focused give me validation, give me praise, look at me. Um, I had, I had lost my, I had sort of lost my faith in it. Like I saw where it led me in February of 2020, which was that, that moment of high praise where I felt like I totally abandoned myself. Mm. And I just, I guess when I had those moments of grief and doubt, it was like, I went back to that sort of like North star, which is that I never want to feel like that again. Yeah. I would never want to do that to myself again because mm. it was kind of like an act of self-harm, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, and then there was the fact that media at that time, you know, it kind of jumped the shark. Like, you know, if you don't wide. follow this stuff, you, if you don't follow this stuff, like I, you may be, don't know what I mean, but like a lot of the things that were used to be totally reasonable to say now would get you canceled. And you had to all of a sudden have an opinion about every single social issue happening, geopolitical issue happening mm-hmm. in the world at all times. And mm-hmm. it this this need to be perfect sort of and right got really intense right around I, the time I left. I have to say, as someone who actively avoids all news and media and has done so for most of her life, right. I still, I still, even though I was so far away from it, just by my little bit of online social media use for work, felt the edges of that. And it was poison, I, the way I felt. Yeah. It. it was like, it was poison. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. Um, and it's a lot of people who are really, there's like two elements to it. I think there's, there's the fear of being wrong, Mm -hmm. um, saying the wrong thing, 
being rejected by your peers or your political allies feels way worse than being rejected by your your opponents you know um and then there's like this addictive element which Mm is every time you go on your phone um Nicole Lepera, the holistic psychologist who I like, she talks about this in her book, like you get, if, if chaos and, and loaded activated immune system, I'm sorry, nervous systems are familiar to you. Mm-hmm. You're going to look and then that. every time you go on Twitter, there's a new thing to be outraged about. Or every time you go on Instagram, there's a new horror in the world that you need to become an expert on in the next two hours. So you can post about it. Like your body, not even your brain, your body gets addicted to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I basically spent all of 2021 off Twitter. I mean, I tweet way less now than I did when I was a journalist, but I really didn't use it at all in 2021. And the longer I stayed away, um, when I would briefly check in, I would like see that it was like lifting the curtain on the brain space I'd been in for so long. And I was like, holy shit this is so bad. Like this is bad, bad, bad brain (laughs) habits. You know, everyone on here needs to log off. So then it became easier because I started to see, I started to see what that life had done to the way that I thought, you know, the parameters within which I thought, Mm -hmm. which was shocking to me because I was like, well, journalists find the truth. But then it's like, but if the truth is like constantly shifting and we can't even agree on like basic public health guidance, Mm. reasonable people disagree about like, what is the truth at this point? You know, like maybe (laughs) this model isn't, isn't working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so then did you have to let go of these rigid ideas? and the expectations you had of yourself and that you felt others had of you to start making new decisions? And I feel like it's a double-loaded question. How were you guided towards or how did you know what you needed or wanted to do next? So I feel like I started saying this in the last monologue and didn't get to it. I started to center how things felt in my body. in my day-to-day life Mm -hmm. more than how they looked right so when I was a journalist it would be sharing my latest story my latest travel opportunity what 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 a conference I was speaking at what you know what media tv hit I was asked to do all of that looked really impressive right and some of it was really fun like (laughs) I got to go cool places and meet smart people but it it always the way it showed up in my physical life wasn't great. Like mm. I was bad, a bad sleeper. I f- had a lot of anxiety. I was constantly checking my email on my phone to see if someone was going to tell me I was stupid or lost my job or wrong or needed to make a correction. Like that was my headspace almost every day. Mm. Um, and, you know, all kinds of we really underestimate in our, I know you would agree with me in our culture, like how much our physical symptoms and our physical realities in our bodies are, are a reflection of mm-hmm. our emotional and psychological health. 
-hmm. because our medical system like doesn't really think that way and then smart people with degrees like reject that as Mm. like pseudoscience or whatever Mm. but I um I felt the difference between that life and this new life and I felt Mm. it in my body and day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and it felt really good Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't deny that. And it's something I'd really encourage people who are like figuring out what the hell they're going to do with their lives to tune into, like yeah. try and de-intellectualize it a little bit, try mm-hmm. and spend, I remember in 2021, I spent so much time, I'm sorry, in 2020, I spent so much time literally lying on the floor yeah. of my flat <laughs> and just feeling stillness and feeling groundedness and feeling and and letting it come to me and not like the voice of God telling me what to do but it was almost a practice of noted you know typical sort of it's literal um, embodiment that's yeah. what that is like oh this is what it feels like to be alive oh this is what it feels like to be connected to my environment oh this is what it feels like yeah. to be this human in this body living yeah. this life or this is uh, what it feels like to not have my nervous system highly activated yeah by, by my day-to-day habits you know yeah. Yeah. um and it, you know I had I was lucky and I think part of the reason I had this groundwork to make these decisions is because of my yoga practice mm. um because you in my old life yoga was the only place that I ever felt any respite Mm-hmm. from the professional high functioning me like it was the only place where I had ever felt grounded mm-hmm. for five minutes in legs up the wall at the end of an hour class but yeah. still the fact that I knew yeah. that was possible yeah it kind of opened a door intellectually for me but but it was physical that yeah. I felt it before I knew it um yeah. and I think you know so much of the media world I was in is so disembodied. It is so head driven. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used to live in my life, I used to live my life 99% of the time up in my head. Mm -hmm. And now I really actively try and create a life where I spend more time down in my body. Yeah. Um, And I think I make better decisions about my life as a result. And I think everyone can do that, you know? agree completely one of my personal life philosophies is very simple it's body leads mind follows but to be able to be in a place where I can let my body lead and not my mind and let my body be relaxed enough to follow that lead Mm. of my body I actively have to choose to slow things down all the time Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. compared to most people I already live like such a simple zen (laughs) lovely slow life and yet sometimes I catch myself I'm caught up in with something whatever it is and I have to like viscerally detach myself from whatever that thing is slow down like disconnect completely Mm. in whatever ways and it often means like disconnect from technology leave my Mm. phone like I have to confiscate my technology from myself every now and then so that I can create that disconnect and then come back and then remember what it feels like to be in that space of presence and embodiment so that again my body's like I was just waiting for you to like 
yeah. check up, check in so I can like show you the way again. And as soon as I'm there, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the flow that I'm always wanting, that I'm like, that I'm desiring in my life that feels so good. But the moment that I disconnect and, and I'm not in the pace, in my natural yeah. pace, which is much slower than most people's, mm-hmm. I lose that and it feels awful. And that's when I start to make decisions that are out of alignment, that make me unhappy, that I not regret, but then I have to like circumvent and, and reroute. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like I, I genuinely believe and know that like our bodies are trying to communicate to us all the time. And we just like, we have, it's different for everyone, but like the greatest life skill is to learn how to listen to what your body's telling you. Mm -hmm. And that can be yoga, that can be meditation, that can be all kinds of practices that tend to get like dismissed, not dismissed, but like people sort of lump them into this like category of, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to summarize (laughs) that. But um, my point is, I'm not, you know, yoga may not be your answer, but the, like the first thing to do, I think, and I say this, my partner and I say this all the time is like, do less, find a way to do less, like just start there. And and maybe your spiritual practice is lying on the floor for five minutes a day. I honestly think that's a great one. I think Um, so too. People, (laughs) this is something I encounter often where I'm like, tell my clients, I'm like, I need you to do nothing for a while. And they're like, nothing. How do you do nothing? And I'm like, exactly like it sounds. Right. And And if it's hard for you. Oh my God, I don't know where to begin. I'm like, okay, what I want you to do is just lie down on the bed or on the ground or on a carpet or some piece of grass and not do anything. And it's like so radically um what's the word confronting yeah it's super confronting yeah (laughs) um and if you feel anxious when you do that it's sort of like a clue that has a lot yeah Uh, and you know there's all these beautiful ways that we can sort of manipulate or maybe help our our nervous systems ground like Mm -hmm. which I wish and I don't understand why we don't sort of teach them in school I mean I guess more schools like teach mindfulness and that's great. But, you know, making your exhale longer than your inhale mm. is like a really simple way to downregulate your nervous system. Or when or you're lying on the touch, floor. Like touching yeah. yourself, rubbing your arm, rubbing your leg, whatever it is. You know, when you're lying on the floor, you can put weight over your eyes. So like an eye bag or a pair of socks or a pillow and just that that's a physiological reflex your body has, right? It's not even... If you want the science to prove that you can find it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that we need to use that stuff more and we need to, um, in addition to sort of like going to therapy and doing the self-help and talking, 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 reading, 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 we need to be and feeling, feeling, feeling. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to be in our physical bodies. Mm-hmm. So like so much wisdom comes from that. If I yeah. could summarize yeah, the last two years, it would be like a shift towards how things felt in my body and making that the North Star. So my last question is, what does your life in a practical or pragmatic way look like now? And what is giving you the most true fulfillment and joy? Okay, I will answer that. But I feel like I have to say act three of the (laughs) (laughs) life changes. Okay, yeah. Um, So I ended up uh, 
I quit my job. I was living in Margate. And then I met my now partner in December of 2020. And, you know, I had been very much like, oh, I'll just be single forever because like, who has the time to deal with emotionally unavailable British men? Like, (laughs) I don't have the time. Um, (laughs) So I, uh, and I wasn't even sad about that. Like, I was just like, I'm going to focus on making my life exactly how I want it. Um, And then I met Dan and he was a person who had done a really similar journey to me before the pandemic in terms of he worked in media as well and um, sort of saw its limitations and decided to leave London. So we had, we had really similar stories. Um, Mm, And he was a person who, in a way that I admire and try to emulate, like really centers how he feels and prioritizes that in all of his decisions. Um, And I just, I, at first, you know, couldn't believe that he, ex- he existed as a person. You're like, um, what? <laughs> male counterpart, how can you even exist in the world? Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say I was like cynical about relations- relationships and love, but I was definitely very like practical and reasonable. <laughs> and I met Dan and I was like the first time in my dating life where I was like, oh my God, I understand why people do stupid things when they fall in love now. (laughs) I love that so much. Oh my God. (laughs) Because if I had had to do something stupid (laughs) to be with Dan, I probably would have. Luckily I I didn't because we lived in the same (laughs) small town. Um, And that was even humbling, you know, like that was not in my narrative either. Like I, I was like, holy shit. Like I, um, yeah, I've maybe judged some people unfairly in the past, um, you know, and, and like, I like to think that Dan and I had like lived enough life and sort of done enough work on ourselves that we, I mean, I do feel this, that we really, I really trust how we both show up in our relationships Mm. compared to past relationships where I'm like, you know, there's all these sort of like blind spots and things you don't understand about why they act the way they do. Where, whereas perhaps lack of self-responsibility as well. I find that exactly. Yeah. Like self-responsibility We in our relationship is really, um, like self-responsibility for your own stuff is really prominent. And so I, um, I, should maybe say, and this will be helpful for your listeners. Cause I feel like I've been out of breath this whole conversation. I'm seven months pregnant <laughs> and because pregnancy makes you out of breath, that's why. And so the pregnancy has been, um, a really, another really profound lesson in slowing down and doing less. And I mean, it's so humbling if you're a high functioning person, because you just can't be, <laughs> well, I, my experience of it is that I can't be. Um, but I don't think I don't going back to sort of the body's wisdom. Like I genuinely don't think I would have gotten pregnant had this whole process not preceded it. Yeah, um, definitely. it was just something that it wasn't really on my radar. And also I just don't think my body would have like 
allowed it to happen it would have been like no this is actually I have this (laughs) funny funny memory of us meeting in London and going for a walk together in Victoria Park maybe like three years ago Mm -hmm. I I don't know like make a year or two after we'd met and you were in that relationship the one that you'd left London Mm -hmm. after um and we were at some point talking about kids and you were like, I'm definitely never, ever having children. It is, <laughs> has like the worst, most horrible impact in the world as if I would ever do that. No way. <laughs> but that was just because of where you were in your life in that moment. Yeah. I remember saying to you, like, you never know, like that might change. And you're like, absolutely, 100%, definitely not. I was like, and this is something because I know this about myself as well. I'm like, just yeah. wait, because maybe life will teach you something else. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, I, um, I, I don't remember, I, I mean, I believe you and I'm sorry to say that. I don't remember ever being that categorical. I, my memory, and I'm probably just saying this for like plausible deniability, like always, oh, once a reporter, always a reporter. Yeah. But, um, I don't remember, like, I remember saying like, you know, never say never, but I don't think I want to have kids, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get why I was in that framework because having kids with a full-time job in London would genuinely be. And also I think the relationship wasn't like right. your body knows when it's safe for you to do that. And if 100%. it doesn't feel safe to do that, even if you love that person, it's just going to be like, nope, sorry. Yeah, I, I completely not agree. Happening. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it and that's another part of this sort of rerouting, redirecting your life story, which is that when I told a lot of people I was pregnant, they were probably more shocked than they let on because they were being polite. But like a lot of people were surprised, you know, because it was not in keeping with my my narrative of like where I was going in life. And um, I, uh, I, I've spent very little time sort of worrying about that. Like, it's fine. Okay. No, it's your life nobody else needs to care or agree or anything else right which is which is like to me now like that is success right like Mm -hmm. caring more about how your life feels than how it looks to Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. and um and really developing that self-trust and that ability to listen through some of the practices and habits we were talking about where you don't you know, you, you have your people you go to for counsel and to help you process, be it friends, life coach, therapist, partners, but ultimately like you are calling the shots in your own life. And, you know, you can't, you can't really lose if you do it that way. Like you don't know how it's going to look necessarily, but you, you do know how it's going to feel, which is probably pretty good, (laughs) or at least it will feel authentic and it will feel integrated. And even when life is hard, as you said, knowing that you're sort of in alignment with where, with your values and where you want to be and what feels good to you is like, is a huge sort of relief. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So wait, I forget your question. Can you restate it? Yeah, It was something about- I'm going to, I want to summarize something first and then I'll restate it. So you went from being this like high achieving, winning, well-known, amazing, successful journalist who was driven and, and 
winning the race, even though it was, you know, it's yeah. still a rat race, but you were winning it at least yeah. in many, in, you know, in many senses to moving to in like a big, vibrant, beautiful city like London to moving to a small town by the seaside and getting married and being pregnant and still writing, but in a different way and choosing the bodily experience of like relief and freedom and openness and Mm. love and generosity and like, ah, this feels good over that. Yeah. And I should say, um, I still, so people might be wondering, well, what does she do for work? Like (laughs) she does, she quit her job. So I still write for a living and I, but I don't, I I have my my own newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rojospinks.substack.com where I, where I talk about a lot of what we've talked about today Mm -hmm. um, and have sort of shared this journey, but I. Rosie's newsletters are one of the only three that I subscribe to. So I really recommend them. <laughs> Literally, like I don't like reading most newsletters, but Rosie's I love. <laughs> That's very kind. Um, so now I write for, you know, I do ghostwriting, I do editing, I do copywriting, I do content writing, I do all sorts. And the craziest thing is I make more money now and I work less than I did in that job so it's like there's this ease that has come with work mm-hmm. um and you know I spent 10 12 years building up a profile and I'm good at what I do and so it's not it's not all sort of luck um but <laughs> it it that's been really interesting that like the more I've sort of decentered my work life and how my career looks to other people the more I have felt ease around and perhaps true making a living for yourself. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to say like, I didn't just quit my job and not like <laughs> work ever again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my last question was, what is giving you the most true fulfillment and joy now? You know, it's like, it's the simplest, the simplest things. <laughs> Um, which I feel like just the, I've been thinking a lot recently about sort of little rituals you have with yourself. Um, and I think the summer, summertime is, is such a time for ritual because, you know, winter, you're just trying to get through it and like hope that it's over as quickly as possible, but summer you're trying to like savor and, mm-hmm. and draw it out. Um, yeah. and yeah, just like every time it's sunny, I in the morning I sit with my cat on my little patio and she's like the most luxurious indulgent creature. <laughs> so she is like a good model for this. Um and just like taking a moment to notice how good that feels and how if you're rushing through life, like you actually might miss that that like those are the moments like Mm. (laughs) really soaking that in you know is um is really like it can just bring a lot of meaning to life those moments where you feel really present and nourished by your surroundings um and then I've been part of one of my like hobbies I picked up in the last two years is I've been gardening a lot more and I fall i before I had outdoor space, I was volunteering at a community garden in Margate here, which is amazing. 
which I still do. And then I have my own little fledgling okay. um, garden at home. And yeah, during pregnancy, like growing things has been really nourishing for me because <laughs> I'm growing something. Yeah. But, you know, watching that process unfold um, in in sort of the plant worlds is like, it's just, there's such an intelligence there that you can pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And there's no rushing. There's no expectations. Um, I love it when I think that some seeds that I've planted are not going to germinate and I sort of give up on them. And then a week later, there they are. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, yeah. yeah, we're not, we're not doing this on your schedule, Rosie. Yeah, no, on your timeline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um there, you know, there's there's it's cliche and this is why everyone gets into gardening when they get old because <laughs> I have to they, say this reminds <laughs> me of like I think it was last week a friend of mine who used to be a very prominent DJ sent me to this text and some photos. He was like, Vienda, I used to take photos of dance floors. Now I take photos of vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> I was some, like, yes. That sort <laughs> of sums up my life too. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's so much there. Um, there's a quote I heard recently, which I really like, which is life doesn't get any smaller the closer you look at it. And I feel like my life now, I look, yeah, I just, I look much more closely at it. <laughs> it feels, it still feels really big yeah. um, and interesting. Um, and it's not to say that it's not super challenging. I mean, pregnancy has been really, really challenging for me, mm. but the sort of the paradigm that I live in now of like doing less and being kind to myself and um, expecting less pretty much as a rule <laughs> has been, has made it kind of possible to, to navigate. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, if, if you're, if you're in that space where you're sort of reassessing everything, um, that's where I would, I would almost like go small instead of going big, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, this, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt because this leads me into something I want to say before we close up. It's actually, I'm running a five-week life program across July and it's called Renew. And it's literally about this, like resetting your life, reinventing the trajectory, choosing a new, um, choosing a new way. And probably the way that was always meant for you, but that you've yeah. been avoiding and neglecting because of trauma, because of habits, because mm. of fear and all of that. I just love the way you've just summarized that and, and shown what it takes. And also, you know, it takes time. It's not mm. like an instant thing, even yeah. though my course is like five weeks. It's going to take like <laughs> six months or a year or like two years. Yeah. And that journey in itself is so profound and transformational. But the, the thing is too, you'll know that you're doing it right because it will feel good. It will feel yeah. good right away. Like yeah. the, you make the changes incrementally, mm-hmm. but as you go, you start to pay attention to how it feels. And then you sort of know, you kind of know the answers. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it becomes really obvious to you mm-hmm. <laughs> the more you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's gradual at first. And then the more you center that, um, how does this feel versus how does it look? Mm-hmm. You, you get to a point where you won't care how it looks to the outside world. 
because it's so much better to feel good in your day-to-day life (laughs) and to feel, to feel like, to use the word everyone hates to use, to feel authentic, like what your inner world um, is doing matches your outer world. Mm-hmm. Which I also call alignment, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Ah, perfect place to close. Thank you so much, Rosie. This has been You're an so incredible welcome. conversation. I've loved every moment of it. And thank you for sharing all of that wisdom and insight on your journey, because that's something I think people really need to see and hear because we we get fed so much scripted bullshit about what life looks like um this is these are the conversations I really I really want to be having yeah I haven't really told the story from beginning to end publicly in one go like this so it was it was a nice thing to do and um I appreciate you giving Mm -hmm. me the opportunity to do it (laughs) thank you